staccato handguns are trusted and approved by over 900 elite law enforcement agencies, including 65 SWAT teams. When it comes to accuracy and reliability, the choice is easy with staccato. You're listening to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Well, be sure to check out our video versions of Policing Matters on YouTube or PoliceOne.com. Hey, law enforcement has faced some arduous challenges over the last five years, mostly external, but sometimes from within. How the challenges are handled is critical to the health of the agency. We often mention leadership in the organization in other general terms, but what does that mean? Our guest today has extensive experience in leading a major department, advising on national law enforcement issues, and even seeing the internal workings of the Supreme Court of the United States. Ross Swope served as the deputy chief of the Washington, D.C. Metropolitan Police, and then went on to serve as the chief of the Department of the Supreme Court. He's also also the author of the newest book, Ethics-Based Policing, Solving the Use of Excessive Force. You can read about his extensive background in our show notes. Well, welcome to Policing Matters, Ross Swope. Thank you. I'm, I'm pleased to be here, very pleased to be here. Yeah, so many in our audience serve as frontline officers in their agencies. What should they know about the leaders, the chiefs, and the sheriffs? Well, um, there's a plethora of traits and characteristics and skills that I have observed, practiced, studied that make a great leader. Not only in policing, but it translates into other occupations and professions as well. As well. So <clears throat> credibility, uh, that is the skills and knowledge and ability to lead at the highest level. You have to have credibility. They have experience. Uh, experience in that they've done that and been there, not in every position, but in important positions, important positions like uh, where the rubber hits the road, that would be uh, uniform patrol or investigative units. They have experience in those. And they have a extensive knowledge of the rules and regulations of their agency uh the legislature and court decisions so they have these this knowledge base uh another important trait that i have seen and exercised is service to others now by that i mean that they are most effective the leaders are most effective when they strive to serve others. And by others, I mean their subordinate officials and the people that work for them. They strive to provide the tools and the equipment, support, recognition, rewards, motivation, and security for all of their subordinates. And they are connected to the community, their constituents, um, the businesses, whether it be in the city or the county, they are connected to them, but they also are strive to connect with other constituents, commuters, tourists. It depends on the location, but that, that connection is critical. And this connection is essential in meeting their needs. So they're meeting, they're serving the community, and they're also serving those that work for them 
their subordinates. So service to others, I see that is an important trait and characteristics that I have seen in, in uh, the, the finest leaders. Integrity is important, very important characteristic. They build, maintain, and support an ethical culture in their agency. And by that, I mean their ethical culture that is guided by the police core virtues. And I've written about that and the police core virtues to me that I have identified and practice all the time are prudence, trust, courage, intellectual honesty, justice, self-effacement of interest and responsibility. Well, that, those are all great focus, and I know you've written uh, extensively about ethics, and we talk often about emotional intelligence um, in general in law enforcement. As the leader within the organization, internally and externally, uh, how can leaders best reach out to the line officers and include them in the in the policy process or in, in general dealings with the agency. How can the leaders reach out? Yeah, how can leaders reach out and make sure that the line staff are included? Uh, I, I define that as leading by walking around and driving around. So what does that mean to me? Make time to get out of the office. Make time if you're in a district to walk around the district uh building and see what the folks there are doing stop and meet them if you're in headquarters walk around headquarters uh talk to those folks that are working be seen be heard attend some of the roll calls from time to time get out of the office from time to time um i practice that extensively and it's very important. Visit police facilities. It depends on how big your agency is, but get out and see if some of the other districts or uh, headquarters uh, locations throughout the county or city. Um, injured officers in the performance of duty, if they're in the hospital, need to be visited. If they're at home, they need to be called. I can't express the importance in the eyes of subordinates when the chief or the leader of a district or a sector reach out and touch them like that. So be heard, be seen. There was an incident that I had. I'd always drive around from time to time. I made time to do that. So I was out on patrol one day and a call came in for a 1033, which in D.C. is an officer in trouble. And I was like two blocks away. I expedite there. I get out of my car. I have a bat and I get out. I walk into business. Everything's fine. But the officer saw me go in there. And there was probably six or eight officers in there. And I just asked them, everything OK? Anything I can do? And they said, no, chief, everything is fine. And I left. That one thing went through the department like lightning that I did that, they want to see, be seen and be heard. That's how I connected. And that's how I've seen other effective leaders connect when um, they're working. And it's very successful. It means something. It makes a statement. 
Yeah, but I would guess that we don't do it enough because I've done exactly, you know, the same thing or similar to what you just described and the the shock and disbelief of the line officers when they see you show up or or they they turn around as they're grappling with a suspect and they see that, you know, the guy holding their legs or an arm is the chief or a deputy chief. So Clearly, I don't think we're doing enough uh, across uh, across the board. Well, I I agree with you, but the question was, what can we do to connect better with our subordinates? And I found that very effective, and I've seen other police leaders do that, and it's very effective. And I agree with you; we're probably not doing it enough, but it's something to me that I made time for, and I've seen other great leaders make time for that. Yeah, absolutely. And then when we talk about things that affect the line officers, so whether it's use of force or de-escalation or something else that we expect the officers to perform, um, how did you include the line officers in, in the policymaking before you created a department training bulletin or a policy bulletin that you shot at? Um, I would gather subordinates. Uh, I would uh, couch it this way. It's participatory management. If I had the time, I brought others in from a variety of ranks for their participation, their input, their counsel, their words of wisdom, I wanted to have them buy in and support the program or policy that I was implementing. And it was important to me to have their buy-in. I would present the policy. I would discuss the plan with them. I would go into detail why this is so important and what my expected results will be. So when I was at the court, um, it was needed a little help. So I wanted to implement inspections because where I came from, every time Mary tore duty after roll call, there was an inspection and they weren't doing inspections. So I brought subordinate police officials in and I said, this is something that we should do. We want to inspect the officers for five minutes after roll call and make sure they have their equipment, they're presentable, they're fit for duty, they have everything they need. And they understood that and it was implemented. So solicit um, their input. Another example is um, when I got to the court, there was no promotional process. It was the chief liked you, so you advanced, and I wasn't keen on that at all. Uh, I think it's promotions should be earned and to go to the right people. It's not a popularity contest. It's an ability and skills and potential. So I said, I brought every rank in, officer, corporal, sergeant, lieutenants. I said, we're going to do a promotional process. Uh, who wants to participate? And I had all ranks in there. And I said, here's some guidelines. So for promotional process, this is what I have seen in my experience that's used for the ranking. And that is a written exam, uh, oral board, longevity, higher education, suitability, and performance evaluation. You choose from those 
all of them or some of them, and then you weigh them on what percentage they should count, such as the written exam is 40% and the oral board is 20%. And they did that. They came back to me and said, this is the way we think it should be done. I accepted it. That's the way it was done. So I had them. I gave them guidelines. You choose. It's our department. It's not mine. It's our department. We're working together. We're on the same team. Participatory management. They got input, buy-in, and it worked well. Another example is when I was on the D.C. police. So it doesn't have to be in front of you. It can be requesting for um, written responses. So I was at, in the district as a captain, and they send me a written request. We are considering buying Chrysler K cars. This was back in the gas crisis. Not Crown Vicks or big, good cars. Chrysler, I don't know where you remember those, but they were like subcompacts, and they wanted to buy those as uh, investigators' cars. And so I wrote my response. They never bought them, but it was solicited from the field people. So even if you can't put a team together at one location, you can at least go out and make written requests to the field people and say, what do you think about this idea before we do it? So the thing is getting people to participate and buy in and value their opinions and bring them in to help. I value subordinates. I value other people's opinion. My goal was always to build a trusting relationship with my subordinates. So when we sat down and talked, there was no fear for them to speak their mind to me and tell me, I don't think that's right, chief. I welcome that. I don't need yes men on my staff. I need people that are straight up and talk to me. And they did. And we worked things out. And it was it was a good a good thing. Sure. Now, you've been on several committees and panels, and you've been at conferences speaking. What are you asked to speak about most? Uh, most of the things I ask to speak about is what can we do to build, repair, or come up with stronger relations between the police and the public? And that's the question I, I get asked. I answer that question, and the answer always is, um, why is that link so weak? Why is that link so bad? Why, why is it like that? Is it uh, because the crime rate is up? Is it because there is an extensive amount of fear of crime? Is it because the police officers are not responding in a timely manner? Is it because uh, there is a comportment issue, a police performance, and that there's excessive use of force, demeaning language, uh, there's a hostility between the police are exhibiting? What is it that's causing this? So it could be one of the things, it could be a number of the things, but all of them to me always went back to one thing, and that is the police culture. And the police culture, is, an, is it an ethical police culture? If it is not, then it needs to be because an ethical police culture with all those core virtues that I mentioned earlier, all tie into crime rates, fear of crime, social and physical disorder, 
all these things are addressed in an ethical police culture because officers perform. Their performance is top notch. They understand the ethical implications and the need for integrity in addressing all these things. And it does address all those things. Yeah, for sure. And I think you just hit on three of the main recurring themes through Sir Robert Peel's Peelian principles uh, about pr prevention, community, and um, judicious use of force. I want to get into that in a minute, but first I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor. Choose the handgun trusted by over 900 law enforcement agencies across the country. With Staccato, you can feel confident knowing you aren't sacrificing incredible accuracy for reliability. Whether you're protecting your family at home or on duty, Staccato has your back. Military and law enforcement receive discount pricing through the Staccato Heroes Program. Visit www.staccato2011-heroesprogram.com to learn more. That's Staccato, S-T-A. C-C-A-T-O 2011 backslash heroes dash program dot com. And we're back and we're speaking with Ross Swope, former chief and uh, writer on ethics and uh, conference panelist. And we are talking about some of the principles that date back as far as 1822. Sir Robert Peel talked about crime prevention as one of the main goals of police and also uh, in relationship, the, the bond between the police and the community. And then finally, these three things keep recurring through his nine principles, the, the use of force and how we can build trust uh, through use of force um, being used judiciously um, and sparingly. And, uh, You've served for more than 40 years. So do you still see these themes recurring or what, what do you see changing in policing? Uh, the themes are still still there, still there. And it goes back uh, a long ways. It even goes back before Bobby Peel. Because Aristotle said, governments and other social institutions should be set up so that it is both possible and sensible for people to be honest, loyal, and passionate and fair. So this is not new, and it's not new to society, and it's certainly not new to policing. But um, I think we're, in, I, I feel that my profession has been tarnished by a few. And I wanted to do something to change that. Uh, I've studied, learned, watched, and employed ethics-based policing, and it works. It's got credibility. It's been proven. Well, you were around during the January 6th, 2021 uh, incident that uh, has been examined repeatedly uh, are you comfortable in, in taking a look at that and, and talking about what should have been done as opposed to what actually happened there? Uh, I can say a few things about it. And the few things I will say, um, I was not there. Uh, I don't Monday morning quarterback. 
But I can tell you this. I know Steve's son. And when I was a captain, Steve's son was a lieutenant. We worked together, and I hold him in the highest regard. Now, I will say this. The chief's job at the U.S. Uh, Capitol is difficult at best. You understand they have over 500 members of Congress there. Uh, the bad part is all of them think they are experts on police operations and they have to give you their input. They are your bosses and they have no problem giving orders or directions to a chief of police because they know everything. Um, I, I was told this, that the National Guard was requested to be deployed on that day. It was denied, as was mutual aid. That would have went a long way. But I can tell you also this. There is nothing more unnerving, fear-generating, or panic-inducing than being outnumbered, facing a crowd, some of who may be violent, for the first time. If you've never done that before, it's uh, it's a frightening experience for most people. As it was for me on my first time game. So there's a lot of bosses there. Everybody has input. So I wasn't there. It was a difficult situation. I'm sure Steve did everything in the best he could. But I was fortunate because I was at the court. So I had one boss. My boss was the chief justice, uh, John Roberts. He was one of the smartest and is one of the most smartest, most personable, finest men I have ever known. And I was afforded great autonomy. So a few years before the incident at the Capitol, you remember the occupiers? Sure. Okay. So the occupiers came to the court, a thousand strong, and they were going to take over the court. Um, they failed. And 35 arrests later, all was well. Nobody intervened with me. Nobody gave me direction. Nobody gave me orders. So I was in a good position because I did what was necessary and didn't have a lot of people ordering me to do this and to do that. And I know how it is over there. I've known the chiefs over there for the past 30 years. And it's a difficult place to be the chief of police with so many people trying to give you direction and telling you what to do. But I, uh, Steve Sun has gotten my support. Sure. And Situation, situational awareness is so important. Um, receiving information about the possibilities of what's to come, numbers of demonstrators and the like. I'm sure you use that because the Supreme Court was certainly one of the focal points of January 6th about the fairness um, and then the process. Um, yeah, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the mouth, right? I think it was Mike Tyson who said that. Um, <laughs> Did you have sufficient numbers? Uh, what was your planning process like? I knew they were coming. So I formed a skirmish line with 80 officers. I had been, when I was with DC police, on countless major violent demonstrations for decades. 
I was in what was called civil disturbance unit from the rank of sergeant all the way up. And that is where a cohort of individuals in each district is specially trained and pulled to handle these things. So I had a lot of experience in this. And things like that didn't trouble me at all because I had been in the middle of so much of it in all the ranks. So I had, I knew they were coming. And I my plan was I formed a skirmish line at the sidewalk. I had uh, bicycle racks there. They tore those up got up in the officer's faces. I had an open space behind me. I knew I, uh, I was going to get surrounded. I broke the line down. We marched up to the top of the stairs to the front door of the court and started stepping down. So I want them to react to me. I'm not reacting to them. That's the way to handle a major thing. Don't react have the others react to your action. So we went down, there was a thousand there. We went all the way down the stairs, one step at a time. Some of them bucked, they were pulled behind the line and arrested. There was a few fists thrown and all the way down to the curb, probably a half hour later with 35 arrests. Now, the interesting thing was I was standing down on the sidewalk, listening to one of the occupiers and she said to one of her friends, wow, I didn't expect that. And this was all over YouTube, all over the place when this demonstration took place. But it was handled logically, conservatively, and there was plenty of time. And it worked. They worked. That's great. Hey, we're wrapping up, uh, respectful of your time. I want to ask you one final thing, and that is you're an old sage, you're an old hand at this, got a ton of experience. Uh, I'm a new chief coming into the role. What is your one piece of advice for me? Um, that depends on what role you're coming in. So there's two roles that I have seen that you come into. You come in as a change agent from the outside or you're promoted from within. There are two different types of advice. The first advice, if you're being promoted from within, you should know the lay of the land. You should know the folks there. There's no big hurry to turn things upside down just because you just got promoted. So you were a deputy chief, now you're a chief. You know who the trusted people are. You bring them in. You do counsel with them. You talk. You uh solidify the trust with your subordinates. So it's not as difficult if you slow things down and take your time. Yes, there's going to be things you want to change and implement. They don't have to be done tomorrow. They can be done in a week. So you're not a change agent. It's much easier. Now, if you're going it as a change agent, uh, you're going to get resistance. Um, some people are not going to like you. You don't know who to trust. It's more difficult. There's going to be people that try to sabotage you. And so what you have to do is you take the wheel of the ship. You convey your expectations. You're friendly. You're firm. But understand and convey this that you expect them to get on the train with you 
or if they do not want to get on the train, then uh, you need to find another place to work because this is where we're going. Now, I can tell you this. I've experienced both. I've been promoted from the ranks up much easier. I was taken to the court. Uh, not so easy. The last chief that was there before I got there lasted three months and bailed. It was a difficult place. Uh, everybody had notions that they ran the uh, agency, meaning subordinates and not the chief. And they did things to try to sabotage or um, get rid of what they didn't like. And they didn't do what they didn't like. So it was um, a, a challenging experience for me. And But within a year or so, things started to change. People understood, wow, this is the way we really should do things. This is the way it should have been done. This is the way it should. So as I move forward and changing things like the promotional process and inspections, you know, everybody saw the benefits of this. So I had to prove myself and that's what I did. And I bought, got buy-in and officers joined me in making decisions and things changed. So yeah, the advice is slow if you're moving up, uh, take the bull by the horns if you're going in. But my ultimate goal always is create a culture based on integrity and ethical performance of duty in everything you do. That's the goal, no matter where I am as a chief, deputy chief, ethics, that culture, it's the police culture that makes departments successful. Sure. And, and of course, everybody assuming the role internal or external is seen with suspicion and uh, you've got to earn that trust and you're, you're talking exactly what you need to do, uh, being fair and consistent and uh, earning that trust. And over time, they'll, they'll get it. Hey, thank you so much for taking time. Ross Swope, Deputy Chief with the De uh, Washington, D.C. Metropolitan Police Department and Chief of the Department of the Supreme Court. Hey, thanks so much for taking time. My pleasure. I enjoyed every minute of it. Thank you very much. Yeah, appreciate it. Hey, to our listeners, uh, check out uh, the rest of Ross Swope's bio and some of his uh, speaking engagements. You can check out his book. And hey, thanks for listening. Let me know what you think. Drop me a line at policingmatters at police1.com. And uh, let me know what you think and who you want to hear from and what you want to hear about. Happy to do it. All right. Take good care. Be safe and talk to you again real soon.